Well, hey, how are we doing today? Are we doing all right? Look at this beautiful sunny day. I want to see it right now. Look at that blue sky. Wade, did you check it out? <laughs> um, we're doing something in February that we need your help with. Now that we have this space, one of our dreams is to start doing some midweek stuff. And we want to introduce this in February, uh, having a couple of Wednesday nights. Um, we'll tell you what the dates are. And they're going to be, we're going we're to provide stuff, hopefully, for, for all ages. But what we'd like to do with kind of junior high and up, after we have a meal together and eat together, is we'd like to hit this theme, what the Bible says about. And we're going to let you determine what the rest of that is. Uh, so uh, we, want, we want to know what you want to know what the Bible says about what you want to know what the Bible says about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the way you can help us um, is there's a blue sheet of paper somewhere. I don't know where it is. If it's Or go to the uh, website, and next week we'll have blue sheets of paper too. So between now and next week, think about what it is, and next week uh, be ready to just help us out with that. Okay, uh, Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 8, here we go. Parable of the sower. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. After this, this being just that incredible experience of being in a Pharisee's home and that, that, that hooker, that prostitute coming in and anointing Jesus' feet. Pretty amazing story. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who were cured of evil spirits and diseases. And Mary called Magdalene, which is probably the woman just that we uh, heard about last week, the woman who anoints Jesus' feet, from whom seven demons had come out. <laughs> Somehow I think it's when she's at Jesus' feet and showering Jesus' feet with those tears. Uh, Maybe it's at that moment that the kingdom of heaven is unleashed in her heart and life. Joanna, the wife of Husa, this cracks me up. I mean, the manager of Herod's household, uh, his wife is supporting Jesus' ministry. I just think that's hilarious. These, These women were helping support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow a seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled on. The birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it but it choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil. It came up, yielded a crop a hundred times, more than what was sown. And when he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. 
His disciples asked him later what this parable meant, and he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. It's right out of Deuteronomy 29. But to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. And those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and comforts. And they do not mature. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it. And by persevering, produce a crop. This is God's word this morning. You can be seated. I like this. Verse 1 says that Jesus came bringing and proclaiming the gospel. What's the gospel? At least according to Jesus. What is it? What does the text say? It's the good news of what? The kingdom of God. That's the gospel according to Jesus. What's the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God, and this is where I have to break some misconceptions because in other, in Matthew's gospel, it's called the kingdom of heaven because Jews weren't allowed to use the name God, so they, they, they used the word heaven to refer to God. Uh, we, we have this misconception that the kingdom of heaven is the place that I go to when I die. That is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is right now. It's the undeniable power of God that breaks into chaos and brings shalom. In fact, the very first instance of the kingdom of heaven is, is at creation. Because when God creates, he does not create out of nothing. The Bible says that there is something, and the something is tohu bohu. It's this churning mass of nothingness and emptiness and meaninglessness and chaos. God's reign entered the toho bohu, the chaos, through his word. And it brought about order and harmony and beauty. And the kingdom of heaven is unleashed. See, that's why it says in verse 1, Jesus didn't just come proclaiming the kingdom, but he came, he, he's bringing the kingdom. Because the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, it's more than a message. It's the power of God that breaks in to recreate, to fix and repair things that are broken. It's the lame walking. It's the deaf hearing, the blind seeing. It's the dead being raised. It's Mary, who's filled with demons. I mean, you talk about tohu bohu. And God's reign and rule breaking in, bringing shalom. Now, Jesus doesn't only bring it, he proclaims it. And as we're going to see as we go uh, further through Luke's gospel, that one of the main ways that Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God is, is through parables. What's a parable? Parables, basically, doing truth through story. 
I mean, in our context, we, we usually don't do truth this way. We do so much of our learning through propositions and definitions, which is why so many of us are, are, are much more comfortable with Paul in his letters uh, because Paul is speaking and teaching Greeks, Gentiles, and he understands that that's the way that we like to learn things is through definitions and propositions. But the rest of the Bible is pretty much a Middle Eastern book. And they do truth primarily through story and pictures. I also think Jesus does it this way because I think the deepest things in life can't be defined by a definition. I mean, just take sin. How, how, how do you define sin? I, I, I could give you a definition, or if you know Lord of the Rings, I could simply say the ring of power. Or if you know the, the, the Chronicles of Narnia, I could just say Turkish delight. And see, to me, those things capture sin a lot better than any definition could. And see, propositions usually speak to a person's mind, but, but stories, they speak to our heart, which is why the Bible, so much of it, comes to us in story. I mean, just take this proposition, God is love. I mean, that proposition is incredible. But close your eyes right now. What do you see when I say God is love? Or what do you see if I say, as a father carries his hurting son? Can you see that? God's word says, so I have carried you. Or John 3.16 says, for God so loves the world. I mean, that's such an awesome truth. But when we see that truth through the picture of of what God says next... That just as that bronze snake was lifted up in the wilderness so that people who are snake-bitten could look at it and be healed, so my son will be lifted up. For God so loved the world that way. That's the, 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 the purpose of parables. And what, what, what parables do, a good parable, it will, it, it will draw the audience into this live drama. And what Jesus does when he tells the parable is he wants us to kind of find our place in this drama where we're literally saying, oh my goodness, he's talking about me right now. I'm that kind of soil, or I'm that son, or I'm that character. Because he wants us to do self-analysis. But even more than just doing self-analysis, the parables are designed to force the audience to make a choice on what they've just heard. To respond. To repent. To make a commitment. I mean, look at verse 8. Look at it. This is Jesus, one of his favorite idioms. He loves to end a teaching by saying, he who has ears to ear, let him, let him hear. Or sometimes he says, you have eyes, but you don't see, and, and ears, but you don't hear. Because here's the deal. In, in Jewish thought, seeing and hearing have two dimensions. The first, seeing, is what you do with your head. But the second scene is what you do with your heart. The first hearing is, have you understood the concept? The second hearing, 
Has it changed how you live? In fact, even the word in, in, in Hebrew, which is the Hebrew word Shema, Shema, Shema Israel, hero Israel. Shema means not only to hear, but Shema also means to obey. So every time um, a, a, a Jew prays this prayer, uh, Shema Israel, Adonai, Ohenu, Adonai, Ahad, they're not just saying hear, they're saying obey. Obey what? Love God with everything you have. Because that's obedience. And that's hearing. You see, this is what Jesus is going for. He doesn't want us to just hear, but to hear. He's going for repentance. He wants people to make a choice. Because being a disciple is so much more than just knowing what the rabbi knows. It's becoming all that Jesus is. I mean, think about it this morning. I, I could stand up here and do a, a sermon on the attributes of God, and I could, we could go through the Bible. I could give you 20 different proof, proof texts on, on what the attributes of God are and what they look like, but at the end of the day, would this make anyone a disciple? Absolutely not. What would make us a disciple is if in light of the attributes of God, we would respond by making a passionate commitment to him. That's what would make us disciples. And see, this is why with Jesus, it's, it's, it's never enough to just hear. He wants us to hear. It's never enough for us to just see. He wants us to see and to see. He wants this stuff to go deep into our hearts so that it changes us and how we live. Listen to uh, Ezekiel 12, verse 2. Somebody want to get that text? I got it. It says, the son of man, you are living among a rebellious people. They have eyes to see, but they do not see. And they have ears to hear, but they do not hear. Son of man, you are living amongst a rebellious people. The problem is not that they don't understand. The problem is that they don't live out what they understand. And I would say this is probably one of my biggest complaints today about the church is that we have a a, a tendency to spend so much time on, on trying to get people to see, but we never put the bite on to get them to see. And if you look closely at Jesus... He is calling people to the altar almost every time he teaches because his teaching forces people to make a decision. He wants people to respond in terms of what they've heard by making a life commitment. That's why you read the Gospels and this man went away sad or this group of people went away grumbling or, or sometimes they say, boy, this was a difficult teaching. When they say this is a difficult teaching, they're not saying it was difficult to understand. They're saying it's difficult to do. And this is why Jesus is teaching in parables. Jesus wants us to not just understand this stuff with our minds, but he wants us to understand it in a way that it changes us, our hearts, our lives. So this morning we're going to look at this parable and some of you are going to see, but you're not going to see. And you're going to hear, but you're not going to hear. 
God, open the eyes of our heart to see this so that we wouldn't just see it with our eyes, but God, that it would lead to a response, change of heart, change of life for the glory of Christ. Amen. So what does this parable teach us about the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God according to this parable? It's a seed. A seed. And what is the seed? God's word. So the kingdom of God is this planted seed, which, which, which means the kingdom of God is organic. Well, what do we mean by organic? It means the kingdom of God is not mechanical, it's not institutional, it's not hierarchical, it's not organizational. Organic means that the kingdom of God is a living force. It's not something that happens top down, but bottom up. It's not something that's static, but it's something that's dynamic. There's movement to it. Change is happening all the time. It's not something that's outside in. It's inside out. In fact, the way that you know that, that it's in you and, and changing you and transforming you is you're not just getting busier. You're getting wiser. You're getting deeper. You're becoming more real. You're becoming more like Jesus. Now, the parable basically says there's two fundamental things necessary for the kingdom of God to be planted and to be unleashed in a person's life where they bear fruit. What are the two things necessary? Seed. And what else? Soil. (laughs) Not too many farmers around here, huh? But listen, when you put seed and soil together, what do you get? Actually, when you put seed and good soil together, what do you get? You get verse 8. Look at verse 8. That would have shocked them. It also would have reminded them of Isaiah 26 because this is actually a true story in their Bibles that happened to Isaac. But I'll let you find that. But they're thinking to themselves, are you kidding me? No farmer could produce a hundredfold. But what Jesus is teaching is the power of the seed. That this little seed has the power to produce massive amounts of life. And this tiny seed is contained where? Verse 11. The power of God is contained in what? Verse 11. The word of God. How did God create the world? How did he first unleash his reign and rule into the tohu bohu? His word. 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23 says, love this text, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable perishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. 
And this is the word that was preached to you. In other words, if you want to find the kingdom of God and you want the kingdom of God to be unleashed in your life, you're not going to find it anywhere except the word of God. The word of God. God's power is contained in this. And so many of us just settle for counterfeit seeds, whether it's secondary sources or sermons or personalities or books and study materials. Listen, there is no substitute for the Word of God. You can read this. And some people today settle for this, well, I got a special word from God, as if I don't really need this. That's like some people sometimes are so excited. Did you know that there are angels here? I'm like, angels? Where two or three are gathered, Christ is present. Why would you settle for a special word from God? This is it. Right here. And see, I think what we're saying when we settle for substitutes is, is that we can kind of improve on God's word or that God's word somehow needs our help or that it's too complicated for people to understand for themselves. I was a junior high and high school pastor for 10 years of my life, and I'm telling you, junior hires and high schoolers can understand the book. You know how many people today have been killed, martyred, just to get a copy of this in their hands or to get a copy of this in other people's hands? Thousands. What does this mean to you? How often are you taking it in? God says man does not live by by bread alone, by by food, but we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do you treat this the way you treat food? So I think too many Christians today have come to believe that a verse a day keeps the devil away. Or that just getting a, a weekly sermon fix will, will be enough for them. It's no wonder that the the church is crippled today and and why it's not growing, why it's not bearing fruit. You and I have been made to eat this and to get this deep into our hearts where it penetrates the fabric of our being and it feeds us and changes us. We will never experience the kingdom of God and its power apart from this. Now, according to this parable, the seed also requires the right kind of soil. Some of you know this. I I grew up in a Dutch farming community, and I spent five years of my life farming from eighth grade until uh, a senior in high school. I remember being at South Christian. We played Grand Ups Christian in basketball, and they'd sing about the farmers at South Christian. Old McDonald had a farm. 
And I'd go over there and start directing them as they sang it. I'm kidding. I didn't. <laughs> Wanted to. <laughs> um, but Wendell Berry, who's one of my favorite authors, um, he's reminded us how, how as a culture we've moved from an agri- agricultural society to a suburban society and how this has made us not even, not even more detached from life itself, but, but from God. We're detached. But the, the lessons that I learned from farming, are, they're priceless to me because you have no idea how much a farmer obsesses over his soil. I mean, that topsoil is everything to a farmer. From sunrise to sundown, a, a farmer is caring for that soil. They're watering it. They're cultivating it. They're preparing it. They're nurturing it. They're weeding it. The soil is, is, is everything to them. And see, that is the point of Jesus' parable. We call this the parable of the sower, but it should be called the parable of the soil. Because it's all about the soil. And Jesus says there are four kinds of soil. And this is where Jesus now, in the story, he wants to draw us in where we're left asking, what kind of soil am I? How is Jesus speaking to me right now? And first, there's the the, the first soil, which is the hard path, the the seed that falls on the path. It never gets in. That soil is not prepared. It's, It's hard. It makes it easy pickings for the birds. And look at verse 12. Jesus said, this is the person who has a hard and unreceptive heart. The seed never gets in. This becomes easy prey for the devil. Some of you right now are just easy prey for the devil. You haven't prepared the soil of your hearts. It's not getting in. You hear, but you don't hear. I'm telling you, this is is a person, according to this parable, who can be in close proximity to proximity to the seed they can hear it they can read it they can even know it maybe backwards and forwards but it's all in vain because the seed never penetrates the soil it never gets planted in a person's heart as they say there's six inches that separate a person's head from their heart and so it goes there are six inches that separate people from going to either heaven or hell It's got to do more than just be in our heads. It has to get into our heart. And this is why Jesus says they are ever seeing, but never seeing. They are hearing, but they're never hearing. Is this your soil today? The second soil is rocky. Look at verse 13. In fact, it says this person receives the word with, with great joy. But soon it dies off because it doesn't have a root. Again, it doesn't go deep enough. It may have made it into a person's emotions. It may have made it into some spiritual experiences. But the word never gets pushed into the person's heart. And the reason they burn and fizzle, according to this text, look at verse 13, are the rocks. It's... It's thrown into rocky soil. And what are the rocks? 
The rocks are those things that are going to come into every single one of our lives. It's those seasons of testing, those times or seasons when life hurts, when life is difficult. It will happen to all of us. And if the seed does not go deep into our hearts, Jesus said, it's just going to fall away. I think this is the person who gets, gets really fired up about what Jesus promises and, and having spiritual highs, but they're not willing to do what Jesus demands. They want the glory, but not the pain. They want a resurrection, but without the cross. Is this your soil today? Are you in this because it serves you, or are you in this because you want to serve him, irrespective of your circumstances. The third soil is thorn-infested soil. And Jesus said, this is the person who receives the word and it actually penetrates the soil. It gets into a person's heart. In fact, it even takes root. It, in, in, in one of the par- gospels where, where it describes this parable of Jesus, it says it bears fruit but only for a short season because soon it is choked. What chokes it? Thorns. What are the thorns? Look at verse 14. The worries of this life, riches, and pleasure. Ooh, now Jesus is hitting home, isn't he? Because what we're talking about is worldliness. And worldliness is simply living life as if the world is all there is. And if the world is all there is, I worry because there's nothing more. I need comfort. I need wealth. I'm going to tell you, there there is nothing that will stunt the seeds growth, or choke out the kingdom more than living for this world. Getting sucked into it. Absolutely nothing is more deadly than this. Is this your soil today? Are you a worrier? Are you a fretter? What are you living for? Where, where, where do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? What are you living by? Are, are you living by bread alone? Or are you living by every word that proceeds from God's mouth? Turn with me. I want everybody to turn with me to Jeremiah. Because I haven't had time to show you how these parables too. Jesus is doing commentary on the Old Testament. Everything Jesus says and does is rooted in the Old Testament. But here's a place where I at least want to show it to you. Jeremiah 4, look at verse 3. This is what the Lord says to the people of Judah and to Jerusalem. Break up your unplowed ground and do not sow among thorns. Break up your unplowed ground and do not sow sow among thorns. Circumcise yourself to the Lord. Circumcise your heart. 
Thorns are an age-old problem. They go all the way back to the prophets. Are they your problem today? Fourth soil. And really with the first three, what you have here is they all hear, but they don't hear. It gets to the head, but it, it never really gets to the heart, nor does it stay in the heart. The fourth soil, verse 15, look at verse 15. This is the person who receives the word. They receive it, and the seed, it goes deep into their heart. It, it penetrates. And this is the person who, 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 who stays, 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 remains, remains, abides, abides in the word, irrespective of circumstances. And this person bears fruit. The fruit of the kingdom of God. The fruit of a transformed life. The fruit of transforming other lives. What is the good soil according to verse 15? Jesus said it's a good and noble heart. It's a heart that hears and hears. It's a heart that sees and sees. It's a heart that responds to the word and repents. Is Is that you today? Because what Jesus wants to do is he wants to draw us into this story. He wants us to to look at our own lives. And he wants us to ask, what kind of soil am I providing the seed of God's word right now? What kind of soil? Because the issue is not the sower. The issue is not the seed. It's the same sower. It's the same seed falling on all four soils. The issue, says Jesus, is the soil. How dare you make it about the pastor? How dare you? You come here and make it about the church. How dare you come and wherever you are, critique this person or that person or something outside of you. Jesus is saying, hey, by the way, not that you do that. But Jesus is saying, this is about you. This is about the kind of soil you are providing the seed. How's your soil? See, our soil by nature, it's rocky, it's thorny. And Jesus is teaching this parable so that we would start looking at our soil and start identifying the rocks and identifying the thorns and the thistles that exist. As Jeremiah 4 verse 4 verse 3 says, break up that fallow ground. Prepare the soils of your heart. Circumcise, not the flesh, circumcise your hearts. I look at verse 10 of of, of this parable of Luke chapter 8. Jesus saw quotes there from Isaiah 6. Though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. 
I don't know if you're familiar with what happens in Isaiah 6, but it's that famous passage on, on where Isaiah is commissioned by God, and he comes into the presence of God, and, and he sees the holiness of God, and he says, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And God then atones for his sin and cleanses him and then asks him the question, whom will I send? Isaiah says, send me, Lord, send me. And here you have a guy who, who sees and sees. He, he says, my eyes have seen the king. And he responds to that. He says, here my Lord, send me. His life is profoundly changed. But then God says what he says next, and Jesus quotes it. He says, now Isaiah, even though you have seen and seen, you are going to a people who see but don't see. They hear but they don't hear. Why is this? Well, I think Isaiah 29, let's turn there, answers the question. And this, by the way, is another text that Jesus will quote later in his ministry. Look at verse 10. God's speaking to his people who see but don't see, who hear but don't hear. He says, the Lord has brought you into a deep sleep. He has sealed your eyes. He has covered your ears. God did that. Why did God do that? Because look at verse 13. The Lord said, these people come near to me with their mouth and with their lips, but their hearts, their hearts are far from me. They got a heart problem. Do you have a heart problem today? I love what Jesus says next in verse 14. He says, But I will astound them. I will astound them. In fact, in this parable, there's, there's some astounding things about it. First of all, the sower. I mean, if you know anything about farming, you know that this sower is sowing recklessly and extravagantly. He's sowing in places that a farmer would never think to sow. He's sowing along the path. He's sowing among the rocks. He's throwing seed in these thorn-infested places. You could call this the parable of the prodigal sower. Because <laughs> what does prodigal mean? Wasteful. Look at Jesus. Look at his life in the Gospels. He's throwing the seed of the kingdom all over the place. Not just to the people we think he's going to throw it to. He's going to the path. He's going to the thorn-infested places. He's going into the rock. He's throwing the seed. It's astounding. But even more astounding is who is Jesus in this parable? He's not just the sower He's the seed. He is the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. And now just think about a seed for a moment. On its own, it's weak. It's, it's, it's practically powerless. And, and the fact that Jesus is teaching that God became a seed. I mean, Jesus could have taught, told a parable about a sword or a hammer. Or a raging fire. 
God became, in Jesus, a seed. A weak and powerless until that seed goes into the ground. Because once it goes into the ground, that seed becomes this organic life force that bears fruit. And this is exactly what Jesus says right before he dies. He says, unless the seed goes into the ground, it's just a tiny seed. But if it goes deep in the ground, and if it dies, it will bear much fruit. Does that astound you? the all-powerful one would do that for you, that he'd become this tiny, weak seed, that he'd give up everything and become weak and vulnerable and go into the earth and die so that you and I, when we take this seed deep into our hearts like the woman last week, the power of the kingdom of heaven is unleashed. I had this in my notes before I even sung the hymn today, and Greg and I didn't even plan it. But the hymn writer says it so well. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. We can't just hear. We need to hear and to hear. We can't just see. We need to see and we need to see. So I want to end this morning in silence asking you these two questions. What are you doing with the seed? And what kind of soil are you providing the seed? How are you going to respond today? What do you need to repent of to make that soil good soil? What do you need to give up? What is God right now maybe putting his finger on? What do you need to let go of? So that you can hear and hear. He who has ears to hear, says Jesus, let him hear. Let's pray. In the silence, I'm going to just ask Greg to come up and close us. But God, um, as James says, you want us to be more than hearers of your word. Your word demands response. And we really have eyes to see the, 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 the living word who is made flesh. In fact, right now, God, I pray that you would open the eyes of the heart of, of, of anyone who's blinded to that this morning. They could really see. And for all of us today, that we wouldn't just see, but we would see and then see. moments of silence, just ask yourself, how am I going to respond? Not just right now, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday.